King, in the service of the King, every talent I will bring, I have peace and joy and blessing in the service of the King. Verse 3, I am happy in the service of the King. I am happy, oh so happy, to his guiding hand forever I will cling, in the service of the King, in the service of the King, every talent I will bring, I have peace and joy and blessing in the service of the King. And the last, I am happy in the service of the King. I am happy, oh so happy. All that I possess to Him I gladly bring in the service of the King. In the service of the King, every talent I will bring. I have peace and joy and blessing in the service of the King. You can be seated. Good evening. Welcome tonight to Tuesday evening of our missions conference. And uh, how many of you got your bellies filled up? Someone said that uh, after uh, after that meal that we're going to be doing, uh, we're going to be uh, acting out silent night, holy night. And so no sleeping on us, all right? Um, if I catch you sleeping, I'll make you stand up and give me 20 jumping jacks. All right. And keep it alert. Amen. And uh, what a great meal. White Oak Baptist Church, you know how to cook international food. And it tastes great. Some international food doesn't taste so good. But everything that was brought tonight that I had was wonderful, wonderful. So thank you for participating in that. Everybody that dressed up, got in costume, uh, made, that, made the night that much more special. Uh, what a wonderful time we had. Well, listen, we've got a full evening plan, and we're excited about it. Ushers, why don't we go ahead and have you come forward? And so uh, we're going to be collecting the Faith Promise Giving cards tonight. Uh, we'll be collecting them tomorrow night as well, uh, but I uh, want to pick them up tonight. Obviously, we run the risk of not having a service tomorrow with the impending weather. We'll say more about that in a minute. But if you forgot your card at home uh, or did not get one, if you could hold your hand up and one of our ushers could get that to you now and uh, be prepared to turn that in in a few minutes. If you have not yet filled that out, we encourage you to do that. This helps us plan for our year with taking on any new missionaries, additional missionaries, and uh, uh, our church does well in its giving toward missions, but we're encouraging everybody to reevaluate what they give and ask the Lord if they can give more. Uh, we have several new families in our church that we want to give you an opportunity to get in on the blessings and be involved in uh, global outreach uh, with the uh, missions around the globe and around the world. And so let's take just a moment and let's meet our missionaries that are here tonight. We'll get to know them all a little bit better. A few minutes during the question and answer, but the Carter, why don't we start right down here with you? Introduce yourself. Tell us about your wife and your ministry there. All right, uh, Dave Carter. My wife is Glenda. I like to use the name to remember. 
They've been, they've been there 42 years. And so thankful for their service there. All right, Dr. Cox. Very good. All right. Thank you for that. And then the Raiders, Brother Mark, Miss Sarah. Brother Mark, Sarah Raider, we have four children Savannah, Paul, Samuel, and Rebecca is with us tonight in the nursery. We just got this Saturday from Peru, and Thursday will be the Sunday from Peru. We've enjoyed having you all here, all the missionaries. Very good. All right. Well, why don't we have a word of prayer? Uh, we're going to collect those cards at the end of the service, so hold on to those and be prepared to turn those in. Obviously, you can turn those in uh, uh, Wednesday or on Sunday as well. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll uh, continue on with uh, another song here. Let's pray. Lord, I ask tonight that you'd be with us, be in our midst, and move, uh, move in our hearts. Lord stir, Lord, stir us. Help us as we get to know our missionaries on a little bit deeper level tonight, and help us to uh, help that, Lord, to spawn a greater love for uh, not only these folks, uh, these missionaries, but Lord, the fields they represent and the people in those fields. So be with us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Yellow. 5.30 in the songbook, we'll sing Work for the Night is Coming, the first and the last of hymn 5.30. Verse 1. Work for the night is coming, work through the morning hours, work while the dew is sparkling, work mid-springing flowers, work when the day grows brighter, work in the glowing sun, work for the night is coming, when man's work is done. Verse 3, work for the night is coming, under the sunset skies, while their bright trends are glowing, work for daylight flies, work till the last beam faded, faded to shine no more, work while the night is darkening, when man's work is o'er. It's been a pleasure to get to meet Brother Carter this week and get to know him. Anytime you meet someone who's been at Christian service for four decades, uh, you want to just sit and listen and glean all that you can. But when you meet someone who's been at, at it for four decades in another country, in another culture, in another people and has successfully started as many churches as he has, it uh, is that much more intriguing. And um, I'm thankful for you, Brother Carter. I'm thankful that we've had a chance as a church all these years to invest in your ministry. And he was scheduled to give his update tomorrow night. I figured that this would be max exposure for you. I wanted to give you a chance to address the people and give them an update on what's going on in Japan and you guys' lives. So come on up at this time and share a little bit of, uh, with that.
with us, if you wouldn't mind. Thank you. Quite a bit I shared with you a little bit on Sunday morning. Uh, and uh, we are visiting only our supporting churches. And then we want to head back to Japan. But uh, we, first of all, have wanted to thank you for your faithful support to us all these years. I, uh, I was sharing with the pastor this morning that God has been so good to my wife and I, giving us such faithful and gracious pastors and churches. And we're so grateful uh, for this church as well. I look forward to coming back here. And so we, uh, on behalf of my wife and I, we would like to, first of all, thank you uh, for that faithful support and for your prayers. But we've also wanted to report. Um, uh, I turned my last church over to my oldest son, Steve, uh, and he's taken the helm and he's ran with the church. He's done good. Uh, Easter's coming up. The last two Easter's we've ran over. We've had around 110 people. And uh, on Christmas, too, we've been running uh, our annual Christ, uh, Thanksgiving, uh, Thanksgiving and Christ, um, uh, um, springtime uh, uh, barbecue uh, type picnic. We, uh, we've been running in, in uh, a lot of uh, the, the numbers have been up. And so we're uh, it, my son's got a vision and uh, I'm so thankful that he was there and able to take the church. And after we passed the church off on him, uh, as I mentioned Sunday, we were praying about what to do. We love church planting. We've been doing that all of our life. Uh, and we'd like to continue doing that, but we're just up in age. Uh, we'd be in our 80s before we'd be ready to turn over our next church. And, and, and I didn't think that that was of the Lord. But, you know, as, after I turned my church over to Steve uh, and, and, and uh, his wife, Bethany, uh, God has been using us in other ways. We've been going to national churches and preaching. Uh, we've, uh, I, ha- I have a good friend that I met, oh, close to 35 years ago. Uh, he was actually a uh, space rocket mechanical engineer and helped design the engines on the space shuttle. And to hear him talk about it, they did such a good job on that, those engines that they put themselves out of a job. <laughs> and, uh, and then he became loaned to the Japanese uh, rocket industry. And so he watched, I think they, they put up about eight rockets while he was working there. But God called him to be a missionary and by faith, he gave that up and started a camp over 30 years ago. Uh, and, uh, you know, Brother Tom Cherney is his name. He, his wife is Japanese. She, her name is Kazuko. Uh, but my wife had his kids, six kids, and my four kids once in, in, uh, uh, in our, uh, a little school that we opened up. But uh, a good, long friend of mine. But uh, they've been in the camp ministry for 30 years. And it allowed me, for the, my wife and I, the first time to go help him in his camp ministry last July and August. And uh, it gave me an appreciation for what he's doing and a great job. We worked 10 hour, 10 hour days, but they were uh, blessed of the Lord. But it allowed me to do that, allowed me to travel to the Philippines. It allowed me to travel to other national pastors. And as Glenda and I had been praying about what to do with our lives, uh, God seemed to impress upon my heart to do the kind of work that the Apostle Paul did. Uh, his first two missionary journeys, of course, was planting churches. But his third missionary journey, he did a lot of going back to some of those churches and encouraging uh, national pastors and, and churches and, and Christians alike. And, and I feel like uh, uh, there's a lot of national pastors out there that can really be encouraged in the Lord. 
you know, um, they don't have a whole lot of people praying for them. Uh, and a lot of those national pastors, they'll go out to start a church and they'll have a little bit of support. And then it dries up and then they have to take on a full-time job. And, and, uh, and it can get discouraging. And so uh, our desire is to go out and help some of these national pastors and missionaries alike. Uh, but um, one ministry that God opened up while I was still pastoring was um, we had a Costco store open up about 20 minutes from us 10 years ago. And I was going through the line one day shopping for Thanksgiving, and it just so happened the manager of the Costco store was there, and he asked me uh, what I was shopping for, uh, uh, doing all the shopping for, and I told him we had a church and we were getting ready for Thanksgiving, and he says, well, if you'll come by our store, he says, I'll give you every week, if you'll come by, I'll give you our, our uh, uh, day of expiration bread. And I said, well, sure. And so I started doing that, and I go. To, we've been going twice a week. Uh, to pick up that bread, and we've been sending it all over Japan to, to missionaries, national pastors, to Bible schools, camps, uh, and to um, uh, Koji. Uh, uh, boy, I can't think of the word in English. Uh, <laughs> oh boy, that, that's bad. <laughs> I'm getting old. Uh, uh, well, forget it. <laughs> but through that, the Lord has allowed us to minister to a lot of Japanese pastors. And one pastor wrote me uh, not too long ago, and he said, he said, I have, uh, I have been working here at my church for 13 years. And he says, I have five people. And I just found out that we have to move our church again. And, uh, and so he sounded discouraged, but he was just asking for prayer. Because these men are... Happy to serve the Lord. They're honored to serve their Lord. They love the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so uh, they don't complain, but they, uh, uh, they just need prayer, and they do need encouraging. And so as we prayed about it, God seems to be, uh, seemed to be moving us in that direction. And so uh, just around February last year, uh, God showed me that, uh, that that's what he wanted me to do. So we came home immediately, appeared before my mission board. Uh, my mission board is BIMI, Baptist International Missions Incorporated, out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. I asked the uh, vice president, the president, my director, and board members uh, to uh, appear. Uh, our mission uh, board, direct, uh, board members are Baptist pastors. Well, there's probably about a dozen, and we shared this uh, ministry with them, and they were delighted that I was doing this. I had everybody's support uh, in our mission, and so uh, we feel like that's what God wants to do. I'll share a little bit about that in the, in the, uh, in the video, but uh, uh, we would uh, appreciate uh, as I feel a little bit like Abraham. He went out uh, not knowing where he was going. In Hebrews chapter 11, he went out not knowing whither he's going. But I know the Lord will direct us and, uh, and show us uh, uh, where to go and, and uh, who, who to minister as he's already uh, done uh, for us. But um, I'm going to have you look at our video as, you, as we come down on the city of uh, metropolitan Tokyo. Uh, is, uh, the brown area, it'll be 33 million people living in that area. Uh, and, uh, and so... Um, anybody ever watched the movie Hachi? It's about a dog. Have you ever seen that dog movie? <laughs> well, uh, that, uh, that dog was picked up in the Shibuya Station, and the Shibuya Station today is the busiest intersection in the world. 
It will be at the very end of my video. All those people walking across the intersection, that happens every two minutes. Uh, so that gives you a little bit of an idea how Tokyo has changed. But anyway, are we ready to go, brother? Come with us on a brief journey to see what God is doing in Tokyo, Japan. We are your missionaries, Dave and Glenda Carter. We would like to introduce you to our work here on the western side of Tokyo at the Akigawa Baptist Church, named after the Akigawa River that runs through our city. This is the fourth work that God has allowed us to start since we've begun serving in Japan. Japan is economically and technologically advanced, but the bright lights of the city are not able to illuminate their spiritual darkness as they continue to hold to the ancient traditions of worshipping idols and ancestors. They have no hope of eternal life and are unsure about which way to turn as they follow their many gods and offer prayers to empty shrines sometimes waiting for hours to say a quick 30-second prayer. Glenda and I arrived in Japan in the summer of 1976. We have spent over 41 years planting four churches in various areas of metropolitan Tokyo. Before we came to Japan, we had little knowledge of what to expect. But a year before we arrived, we met a Japanese pastor named Hiroyuki Omote while he was visiting in the States. He recalls that meeting even today. その一つの教会で、ダブレカーター先生と出会う機会が与えられました。それは1975年の夏でございました。先生はその時に私が日本人であるということを気づかれて、私のところに来られて、日本の教会の状況、日本人における福音の必要について熱心に語られ、その時。カーター先生は日本の宣教においがこのような話し書きをしてくださいました。素晴らしいことにその後カーター先生は日本に宣教師として来られて、そして今日まで、もう42年近く日本で忠実に宣教を伝道を続けてくださいました。その先生の働きを
The first church we started in Japan was on the eastern side of Tokyo, in a city called Takashima Daira. We started the church in the middle of a massive complex of high-rise apartment buildings. There were many who trusted Christ here, including one fifth-grade boy who received an invitation to come to church at a park one day. この場所は高島平田の家の一つの公園があるその外国人というのはデビッド・カーター宣教師です。We ask for your continued prayers for the Holy Spirit's clear direction in our lives in the coming years. With Steve becoming the new pastor of our latest church, Akigawa Baptist Church, it has given us the freedom to preach in other national churches throughout Japan. Pastoring in Japan is not easy, and many national pastors are struggling to make ends meet, often requiring them to work a full-time job while pastoring. Though they are proud to be serving our Lord in the ministry and are faithful to their calling, they still need encouragement. We have a great desire to be a help to as many of these faithful pastors and wives as well as their ministries that we can and to continue to be used of the Lord wherever and however God leads us. The iconic announcement of spring through the beautiful cherry blossoms has been a continual reminder to us of the new life we have in Christ. This new life through the risen Son of God is our gospel message to the land of the rising sun. Thank you for your faithfulness in partnering with us for the salvation of these precious souls here in Japan.
don't you go ahead and come on up, and uh, we'll have uh, Brother and Mrs. Cox sit here, and Brother uh, Carter, you can sit here next to me, and then Mark and Sarah, you guys, you guys can be seated. I didn't make you do any jumping jacks, you ought to be thankful. Some of you might throw up if I did that. All right. You guys can share that one. Thank you. And you three get to share that one. Let's see. All right. We want to take just a few moments, give the people here a chance to get to know you all a little bit better. And so um, I got some questions here for you guys. Now, fortunate for them, I gave them the questions ahead of time. So they're, uh, they're prepped and ready to go. What you don't know is that I brought a new list to the, to the platform to throw you off. No, I didn't do that here. So uh, we're going to go through these and give everybody a chance to answer. And um, we're going to have a good time getting to know our missionaries. Mrs. Cox, we'll start down there with you, if that's okay. Um, can you tell me how the Lord led you to become a missionary or a missionary's wife? It was through our missions conferences at our church when my husband was pastoring at Berean Baptist Church in Adrian, Michigan. Uh, we just had wonderful conferences, very similar to this one. It was the highlight of the year for our people. And at the end of one of the services, I came down the side aisle and came forward and knelt. And I was praying and said, Lord, You've been speaking to my heart, and I want to surrender that heart to you to go to the Philippines as a missionary. Little did I know that over on this side, he was kneeling with a very similar prayer. Now, even though we surrendered to go to the Philippines, it was like right after that, God said, I just wanted to know that your heart was willing but I have other plans for you. And so we've been following those other plans ever since. But we've gotten to go to the Philippines a lot. Same question? Yes, sir. Well, she told part of the story. Uh, The story begins, though, when I was a young child. Um, We started going to Berean, uh, Berean, to Lewis Avenue Baptist Church in 1952. It was a small church. A good day would be 75. And uh, they were not a, what I would call today, a mission-minded church. But we had mission conferences. And the Lord used those mission conferences. And uh, men like Paul Versluis, who was in in Brazil, and and Mary Niemeyer, and and, uh, just a number of others in Liberia, and and, uh, different people that came through uh, to touch my heart. And my mom and dad used to house the missionaries in their home, and so we got to rub shoulders with them and spend time with them. And in 1981, when I accepted my first pastorate, um, I knew that I wanted to do something for missions and for the missionaries. And basically what I've always simply wanted to do was help the missionaries, help the missionaries to fulfill their God-given call. And uh, in 1985, I went to the Philippines. Uh, That's an an amazing story in and of itself. I, on Wednesday, I talked to my preacher, uh, Brother Rahabans, and I knew that he was going to the Philippines for a, 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 a crusade. 
Uh, there was a group of, of uh, B, uh, BBF pastors that were organizing a meeting over there, and uh, I knew he was going, so I just called and asked him how he was going. Well, to make a long story short, on Monday morning, I had tickets and was on the plane myself. And before that, on Wednesday, I didn't even have a passport. And God put it all together. I didn't have any money. God put it all together, went to the Philippines. And as a result of that, God laid on my heart a, a tremendous burden for missions and uh, to do more for missionaries. And that's really how he, he called me and led us uh, on a journey that's still going on. Amen. I think I shared this story on Sunday morning. Uh, would you like me to repeat Just it? briefly recap. All that right. That would be great. Um, I uh, was not married when uh, God called me to Japan, but uh, I was working for my father uh, while I was going to Bible college and uh, the gas station, worked the midnight shift, and I was listening to a tape uh, of my preacher. He's preaching on fresh, the, the topic fresh oil. And after I finished listening to that, I turned off the tape recorder. Probably a lot of you don't know what a tape recorder is. But, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, by the way, I was born in 1952. <laughs> uh, but uh, I turned off the tape, and, and God spoke to my heart during that message. And, and uh, I started praying, I said... Um, the preacher said, find out what God wants you to do with your life and do it. Amen. And I didn't know what God wanted me to do. I was a junior. So I turned off the tape recorder and I started praying to God. And I said, Lord, if you'll show me where you want me to go, uh, I'll go. And it wasn't much longer after that. Then all of a sudden, God put the burden of Japan on my heart. And uh, I just could not shake it uh, out of my mind in, until I finally surrendered 2.30 in the morning. Uh, and I uh, said, all right, if you want me to go to Japan, I'll go. And uh, I had the peace of God pass all understanding. And then uh, a few months later, I was praying about uh, God, that will for God, uh, God's will. And I, I said, God, I want you to show me today if that truly is your will. Show me somehow that is your will. And I went to chapel that day. And before the speaker got up, the visitors to the college were introduced. And sitting right behind me were three missionaries from Japan that just <laughs> came to the college that day. And so God confirmed that, not just in that way, but many other ways, God confirmed that that was uh, His will for my life. Amen. Amen. Mark and Sarah, Sarah, we'll let you go. Okay. Well, I had the privilege and opportunity to be a missionary um, from the time I was a child. I was an MK. And I believe that my parents' uh, testimony and their their service to the Lord from a from a faithful heart um, caused me to have a desire to do the same thing. And as a 12-year-old girl, I surrendered to full-time Christian service. And then at the age of 15, at a missions conference at um, Brother Luis Ramos Church in San Luis Potosi, Mexico, I um, I surrendered to go to Cuba. And then during my time at Bible college, I sought some counsel, and um, a man of God there helped me understand that as a lady, um, God would show me who I was to marry if that was his will, and then wherever God called my husband, that's where I was supposed to go. So um, that's how I ended up being a missionary. God led you to this guy. So how did God call you to be a missionary? 
Okay, so uh, I grew up at First Baptist Church, Hammond, Indiana, and our pastor, Brother Hiles, would put on a pastor school in, in March, and the Wednesday night of pastor school, 1994, I was uh, 13 years old, and uh, I heard uh, Brother Lane Jones from the Philippines preach, and then right after him, uh, Brother David Gibbs, a, a lawyer, uh, he, he preached, and he talked about, he talked about Japan. He, uh, he talked about how MacArthur told, told Truman, he says, uh, give me, give me 3,000 missionaries and we'll make Japan a Christian nation. And, uh, and he began to talk about how not, not one went that he called for. Uh, not one. And he just focused on not one. One. Can we get one? Can we get one? And uh, Brother Hiles gave the invitation. And I can remember swaying, swaying back and forth. And then I noticed, I'm swaying, saying no, yes, no, yes, no. I said, I, I, I got to do this. And I walked forward, and I, it was the, the issue was still open up in debate for my mind. I never went forward Sunday and announced it to my church. Two years later, Brother Lapina was preaching in, in Junior High Chapel, and I had, he did not talk about missions at all. The Holy Spirit was talking about missions to me. The message had nothing to do with missions. He says, Mark, this Sunday you're going to, make, you're going to confirm it. You're going to go forward and take, tell your church. And I stood up after chapel and I said, I, I want to just say God called me to be a missionary and I am, I am confirming that call tonight. And, uh, and, and that Sunday I made, it, I made it public. I'm like, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. I'm committed. And uh, I, how I ended up in Peru? Well, I was a Jonah concerning Peru. I resisted it for six months and the Holy Spirit made it really clear. He says, Mark... Because I wanted to go to the Philippines. And uh, I didn't want to go to Peru. I don't know those folks. I don't want to go work with Spanish people. Sorry, y'all. I love Spanish people now. But, uh, and uh, so it was after six months talking to Brother Moore, one of our assistant pastors, and, and talking to other men of God, it was confirmed. This is, yes, this, is where I, this is what I need to do. Amen. All right. Uh, back over here to uh, the Coxes. Uh, you guys have been taking a lot of missions trips to um, uh, Nigeria. Uh, have you been to Haiti? Okay, so maybe you, you can maybe one of you can pick and choose and talk about Haiti. The other one can talk about Nigeria on this. But when you're there, describe the neighbors that you have around you and how the people live in those towns. Well, in Nigeria, um, every house has a high wall around it for security, and so. Seeing the neighbors is very rare. You can hear them, and um, they're pretty much like us in that, uh, you know, they, they're going off to work. They have their children. They're raising their families. Um, if we see them on the street at the gate, you know, they'll wave. They're friendly, and they're really curious about Americans, um, and especially I get there, and they see White skin, white hair, white jacket. <laughs> Babies are petrified of me. And they're such sweet little babies. I mean, you know, I'm a grandma. I love babies. I try and take them, and their eyes get as big around as saucers, and they're backing into mommy or daddy. They don't want to have a thing to do with me. I must look like a ghost to them. But um, very different people. Um, we, usually, we stay with uh, 
Brother Mark and Sabrina Holmes when we're in Abuja. And um, their neighbors are fairly comfortable um, to be able to build in the subdivision where they live. Uh, but one neighbor is building a mosque, a minaret, right in his yard. Mm. So they're not sure if they're going to have to listen to the call to prayer every day several times or what's going to happen with that. But, um, you know, but they are. They're friendly. They're very kind and gracious. And we, we really, that's what we love about Nigeria. Not the climate, not the dirt, not the, the food, the water you can't drink. Um, none of, you can't even brush your teeth with the water or you'll still get the germs. And... Um, but the people are wonderful. Haiti is a little different. Haiti is one of the uh, most unusual countries in the world. I mentioned the other night that the history of Haiti, um, from the revolution, they were a French colony, and the, they had a revolution from the French. The Haitian people, in order to assure uh, victory, uh, made a pact with Satan and uh, said that if he would give them victory, over the French, which was foolish because they outnumbered the French uh, greatly. They were going to win anyhow. But they, uh, they said, if, we, if you'll give us victory over the French, we'll serve you. And that's exactly what they've done. And because of that, uh, Haiti has, has very mi minimal employment. Uh, the average person in Haiti does not receive any money except what they can scrounge. Uh, they, uh, they live by handouts from NGOs, national government organizations that provide aid and, and, and support uh, from nations all around the world, including the United States. Billions and billions of dollars flow into Haiti, and the people just take it. Uh, in most places around the world, people's homes are built out of concrete block. In, uh, in the Nigeria, uh, they are, are just plain, uh, well-built, nice concrete block homes um, they are very Spartan inside. They may have uh, two bedrooms. They may have a small sitting room in the front. They generally have bare concrete floors. Um, they have uh, maybe a few pieces of furniture that is, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't even find in a thrift shop here in the States. Haiti is a step down from that. Haiti, uh, the homes often have, have concrete block walls. They have tin roofs, but they are what you would call a shanty town. Uh, and that's how 90% of the people live. They live in abject poverty. They, the average professional person, I mentioned this the other night, when I say professional person, um, that would be uh, somebody that uh, uh, would be a teacher or something, uh, would make uh, probably less than $20 a week. And they, they live on that. And the average person does not have an income. They just, whatever they can get from other people. So that's how they live. That's what they're, but they're, they're lovely people. Uh, they, they like, they like Americans. They like everybody. Um, in, in both, in both Nigeria and Haiti, you have to be careful because people that have nothing, people that will never have anything, they'll never have an education, they'll never have a job, they'll never have money, they'll never have a future. They literally think entirely different than you and I do. And the way they, one of the ways they think is, you're, you're an American. You're rich. And by the way, you are. Compared to 95% of this world, we are wealthy people. Compared to Europe, we are wealthy people. 
When they think that way, they think you're, you're rich. You won't miss this thing that I'm about to steal from you. It's simply a good way to live. It's just me providing for my family something I can't ever get any other way. And so they'll take anything. And that's, that's true of Christians as well as the unsaved. It's, it's a mindset that is, is there. And we can't understand it because we have never been in a situation like that. And, uh, but, but overall, they, they love Americans. They, they're open to the gospel. Uh, they'll get saved. Uh, but it's very difficult to many times get the, the old teachings. Most of the, the religious uh, teaching they get is a combination between Catholicism and Satanism and, and the old-fashioned uh, uh, worship of animism in that country. Uh, my wife and I have lived in three places in Japan. Uh, the first place, uh, we tried not to go outside and talk to anybody. It was our first term. <laughs> Hadn't learned the language yet, so we, uh, before we went outside, we'd open the curtain, make sure nobody was outside before we went outside. <laughs> but I'm sure they were good neighbors. <laughs> uh, and the second place uh, is when we had our boys, and they grew up in the neighborhood, and we had good neighbors. Uh, to the most part, we had pretty good neighbors. Um, uh, we moved there and then found out that the family before us uh, lost both of their little children while living in that house. Mm. So it was uh, a house that no Japanese would would move to. And we were, we learned that after we moved there. And, of course, it didn't bother us. Uh, we're not superstitious. But while we were there, um, one of my neighbors, uh, I was witnessing to, my, uh, to a friend of mine and I didn't get home till after midnight, and I came home, and Glenda and I went to bed, and we opened the window. It's kind of in the summertime, opened the window, and I smelled gas, and I, I didn't feel comfortable going to bed uh, with that smell of gas, so I went outside, couldn't smell it, didn't know where it was coming from, but I felt like I needed to go to the fire station and let them know that I smelled gas, so they came out. 2.30 in the morning, here comes the fire station, or a fire truck, and and uh, it was my neighbor's. Uh, it was my neighbor's gas, and it was leaking. And if they would have waited till morning, they would have been dead. So um, my uh, my neighbors realized that we're different from them. And uh, my my youngest son David was one day walking out uh, from a store and stepped into the street. Of course, you step out of the store in Japan, you're already in the street. <laughs> but he stepped into the middle of the street, and here came a taxi, ran over the top of him. And uh, the store, uh, the lady at the store saw that, and uh, absolutely nothing was wrong with him. We took him to the hospital. Uh, nothing, absolutely nothing was wrong with him. And my uh, that store clerk said, you know, it was a miracle. Wow. That was coming from her. It was a miracle. But we uh, started a church in our home there, and, and we had a very good attendance there at that, at that house, and people saw that we were different. And uh, the last place that I lived, it wasn't uh, – uh, we had very good neighbors. Uh, in fact, we've got – had many of them come to visit our churches through the years. So they're very nice people, very easy to get along with. Amen. Um, well, we've lived in, we're now in our fourth home, fourth home, and since we moved to Lima five years ago, and in um, each place we've had different neighbors, and I'd have to say that 
being a country girl and having grown up in small towns, um, our neighbors have taken a while to warm up to us. Um, I think mostly just the city ambiance. They're not very trusting of others. And um, it's taken a while. But right before we moved this last time, we've been in that house for three years. And we were at the point where when I say hello or good afternoon to my neighbors, they would answer back. (laughs) So that was encouraging. And we had quite a few of them visit our church. Um, We have been in our new location as far as our living quarters above the church for a month and a half, two months now. Um, so we don't, we haven't had the chance to meet our neighbors yet because I'm still unpacking boxes. <laughs> yeah, well, of course, we're in the urban city area, and uh, I grew up in Gary, Indiana. You say hello to someone in Gary, Indiana, say, well, man, I don't know you. And uh, so it's about the same thing, only in the Spanish version. And uh, so, the, the, good morning, how you doing? Buenos dias. What? What did I do? And uh, so, but everywhere we go, we see it warm up. And uh, just our normal neighbors, just just keep being friendly. You'll share the sunshine. And um, since every every location, we've had neighbors that we've been able to win to Christ and bring to church with us. And, uh, and, and frequently, we've been able to have Bible studies with our neighbors in our house. And it's just been wonderful to, to see the church moving forward, but also for us personally to reach out to our, our personal neighbors in our own neighborhood. We're going to start on this end with this question. Uh, the craziest thing you've ever eaten while on the mission field. All right, yeah, we, we, got, we got a few of those, but I'll keep it to one. Um, <clears throat> I was at a friend's house, and we were leading his family to Christ, and uh, we're in the mountains. So waking up, and I'm eating breakfast with the family, and they serve caldo de cabeza, and uh, that means head soup. They took a goat's head and cut it in four pieces, and uh, everyone had a piece of the goat head in their, in their soup, for breakfast, and uh, I had my goat head with the ear sticking straight up <laughs> in my soup. And I can already feel, because I'm in the high altitude, I can already feel the nausea coming on. So I'm, I, we pray. I said, let's pray. Let's really pray. <laughs> Lord, thank you for this food. I mean it. Mm, okay. And uh, so the... Uh, I began to eat. Now, I'm, I'm on purpose. I'm feeling it with my hands and my teeth, not looking at it. And I am looking at everyone else, and I am just trying to eat normally and forget about it and hold on conversation. And it's just, just keep your mind distracted, Mark, and you'll be fine. I ate it. I ate that ear. Piece by piece, I ate that ear and ate the meat off the head and drank the rest of the soup. And really, it was pretty good. Yeah. Wow. So you, you grew up on the mission field most of your life. So is your story going to come from Mexico or Peru? You know, I forgot about, I you could share about the Mexico from Mexico. Side. Well, in Mexico, um, probably the tacos that they offered us a lot of times were from different parts of the cow or the pig that we normally probably wouldn't eat here. Um, most of the time, if I don't know what it is, I'd rather just not know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, taco in Japanese is octopus. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> that's not the craziest thing. Uh, any ever anybody ever have tofu? Tofu is pretty much tasteless, but it's made from soybeans. Uh, another thing made from soybeans is um, 
what they call natto, which is a uh, is rotten, stinking, sticky soybeans. They tell you to eat tofu because it's good for your health. And they tell you to eat natto, too, because it's good for your health. Let me just tell you that story. Uh, I don't eat natto. <laughs> I can't get it past my nose. <laughs> but I told my Sunday school uh, that if we would have 50 in Sunday school, that I would eat natto. Well, wouldn't you believe it? We had 50 in Sunday school. <laughs> and I, I had to go to the store and buy it. And I couldn't buy the good stuff. I had to buy the... 7-Eleven, 100-yen, or the dollar cheap kind. And I was on the way to the store buying it, and I said, Lord, would you please help me get this down? Show me how to eat this. And so I got it and got home, and everybody was just, uh, just couldn't wait for me to take that first bite. And then I pulled out a clothespin and put it on my nose, and it was not bad. <laughs> I make it a habit not to eat weird things. I am not afraid to tell somebody, no, thank you, I don't eat that. My wife, on the other hand, many times I turn around and hear her say, oh, yeah, I'll try that. <laughs> what? I thought many times we were going to have to take her home in a box, but... Uh, but uh, not so probably the the most unusual thing I I've, I've eaten, we've eaten a lot of things. There's a restaurant in um, in uh, uh, Australia in Sydney that we used to go to because it was fairly reasonably priced. It's, it, it was more than the normal for a, uh, a our, our diet, but uh, for a special night we would go to the top of the big tower in Sydney. They have a revolving restaurant up there. And it was, when we first started going, it was $25, which is not too horribly bad. And uh, that's where we ate a lot of things because they have a buffet. And we ate lion. We ate kangaroo. We ate uh, uh, camel. We ate a number of things. I've eaten bear uh, in Romania. But probably the oddest thing I've ever eaten uh, is haggis. How many know what haggis is? Yeah... Haggis is sort of a sausage in a sheep's stomach. It's really very tasty. It, uh, it's not bad at all. That's probably the oddest thing that I've ever eaten. Take your word for it. I said, I said no to the haggis. <laughs> um, but I have eaten shrimp's heads. They were kind of like shrimp chips. You know, uh, like a crispy potato chip. The, the chef had cut the heads off the shrimp, prepared the shrimp, and then he took his cleaver and mashed them real flat, dipped them in a batter, and fried them, and then handed them out. And they were pretty good. Um, but it sounds weird. Um, but one day we were in northern Namibia, almost to the Angola border, and this gentleman had showed us, allowed us to come into their home. And their home is all, it's open, um, they had made a stick fence, and think of a conch shell. It goes around and around and around in a circle. And he had taken us all the way into their home and showed us the little hut area where his wife did the cooking. Um, they had a, some big um, clay urns where they stored grain and beans. Um, they had 
sleeping rooms. We didn't go in there, but, you know, he showed us what they were. And he was being so kind to allow these strangers into his home. And he stopped by this one little fenced-off area, and he said, oh, this is where we keep our special drink. And he got this nasty old gourd and opened the door, reached in, dipped it in, and came out. You must try. Well, about that time, I'm starting to panic, and I'm looking for my husband. Where are you, Michael? (laughs) And I saw him go, zoom, (laughs) around a fence. (laughs) He was out of there. (laughs) So the other missionary wife and I are standing there going, okay. I said, Lord, you've got to protect me on this one because I have no idea what what this stuff is. But our first question was, it's not alcoholic, is it? (laughs) He said, no, no, no. It's good for you. It was kind of like watery oatmeal. No taste. It was was nasty. (laughs) But I got a sip down and smiled and said, thank you so much. (laughs) But I still haven't forgiven him for deserting me. (laughs) Abandoner, abandoner. We'll go to Brother Carter with the next question, and we'll have the three of you answer, and then come back over here. Um, when you are in, when you are on the field, what what is it? Whether it's a, a item or a place or a nostalgia or a person, what is it that you miss most about America while on the field? Oh, uh, that's not a hard one. It's the uh, I miss the family during the um, holidays, whether it's July Fourth or Thanksgiving or Christmas. Uh, I miss the family, and uh, I also miss uh, cottage cheese and pork and beans. <laughs> Love it. I think likewise, when I travel, I traveled for a long time. I traveled so much internationally that I was out of the country, still am out of the country for a lot of special days. Um, I'm not around for birthdays. I'm not. We're not around for... Um, anniversaries for holidays sometimes and things. And I remember one time I was flying back from the Philippines on the 4th of July and I saw my fireworks from 36,000 feet looking down out of the plane at them. And uh, you, miss, you miss family and family events. Um, but I think that one of the things I always miss the most is being able to walk over to a drinking fountain and get a drink of water. Uh, you can't drink anything in these foreign countries unless it is, is bottled water sterilized water. And so you always have to have your, your uh, uh, mind about it so that you don't just uh, go back to habit and drink something that you shouldn't drink. Well, my husband pretty well answered that. Preacher, may I go back to the one about our neighbors? We live here in America, and we moved into our house uh, five, a little over five years ago. And we live in a neighborhood that the street just comes in and makes an oval and goes right back out to the main street. And so everyone in our neighborhood walks. Either you have a dog that you walk or you just walk for exercise or some of them have the four-wheelers they ride around. But we were tired of unpacking, needed a break, and so we got out to take a walk. And we're chugging around our neighborhood and started meeting a few people, seeing them out, and introduced ourselves. And their response was, oh, you're the Baptist. <laughs> so they already knew before we moved in <laughs> that we were the Baptist missionaries. So 
but it's open doors, but it's also closed some. Some of them are like, okay, stay away from us. But some of them, it's open doors, and we've been able to witness to them. So it's, it's been a, a delight. What do you guys miss about America when you are serving on the field there? Well, Brother Carter took it right out of my mouth. <laughs> Family and holidays, Mother's Day, Father's Day, these type of things really are the really, I would say, the only times we get homesick for America. Um, aside from, from those things, oh, I would have to say that probably Walmart, the thrift store, Dollar Tree, finding deals, yard sales, those types of, of things are, are what I miss living in the city of Lima. Outback Steakhouse. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I love our heritage we have here in America. It's unique. And I miss, I miss our heritage. You, you can't just turn around and talk to someone about U.S. history or about World War II. They all look at it from a different perspective. Uh, uh, and it's not always a friendly perspective, how they look at us. Uh, they don't understand our history. They don't understand the, the, the good parts of our history and the dark parts of our history that we've had to overcome. And uh, I love my country. I miss my country. I do. We're not leaving our country because we don't care about it. We're leaving our country because we care about it. And uh, uh, I miss my church terribly. That's my life. My life has been in church. I, I miss hearing my preacher preach every Sunday. We, uh, we put that money in the offering plate for missions each week. And we can forget that these people are human beings. They're not just a ledger line on an offering envelope, are they? They, they have feelings and they have needs and they have hurts. And so go beyond just cutting a check and putting it in the plate. Send them a care package. Give them a call. Send them an email. They, they need that. I'm going to turn the question around here. Mrs. Cox, we'll start with you. When you are in the States, what do you miss about the field? Oh, I miss getting to interact with the people. Um, usually when we're in Nigeria, um, I get to speak to the pastor's wives and such sweet ladies and trials that we would never even think about. Um, in the city of Calabar, uh, the pastor's wife is Christiana Y.A. And this lady has, has suffered. Um, she just has gotten embedded in my heart. Um, several years ago, she had a small business to help support the family. And someone owed her money, and she went to that person and was asking for the money that was owed her rightly. And that person got mad and threw battery acid on her. And so she is terribly disfigured, but such a joy in her heart. But then two years ago, um, Easter Sunday night, some men broke into their home, and they're not exactly sure why they were there, but her two older, her two sons, she had two adult sons that were not married, that still lived at home. Um, they jumped into action to protect their mama and their sister, 
and the intruders killed both of them. So now she's lost two sons. Uh, Nigeria is not known for its health care. Her oldest daughter died in childbirth. This lady has suffered so much, but to hear her talk about the Lord and to watch her in action with her her ladies in her church. She's such a delight and such a, a caring, giving person. And I think, wow, God's not put me through trials like that. But she has. And so it's people like that that I miss. Amen. Yeah, I would say it's, it's got to be the people. Um, there's, nothing, <clears throat> there's nothing that could get me to leave the United States, leave my home, leave my, my children, miss as much as we've missed in different other areas, and to get me to leave a church, pastor it, uh, other than people. Uh, that's what it, that's what Christianity is all about. It's about people, and uh, I love the Nigerian people. I've made it a, a point uh, to to get down there with the men uh, when I'm preaching. A lot of times I'll come off the platform and I'll go down and I'll put my arms around one of the men and give them a hug. I want them to know that uh, I'm not better than they are. Uh, I'm just like them. I'm made of the same clay that they're made out of. Uh, and so it's, it's the people. When I'm, when I'm home, I miss being there with them. I miss challenging them. I miss seeing them grow. Uh, as a pastor, a pastor's heart uh, is focused on, on watching his people grow. That's what he gets joy out of, seeing the growth in the people, seeing the young people grow up into adulthood, seeing these people mature spiritually. And I get that same joy out of being there. I've been to <clears throat> Nigeria now. Uh, probably for the last seven or eight years uh, straight, and sometimes twice a year, and uh, seeing the growth in the people, the growth in the churches, the growth in the pastors, uh, that's, uh, that's what really uh, stirs my heart. Well, that's for me, it's family and food. <laughs> I, got, I got my boy back there, and I got three grandchildren there, and of course, uh, we miss not being with them. Uh, but... Uh, uh, we also have church family, and I enjoy uh, getting updates every week. My son uh, gives us an update, uh, actually the bulletin that he's about ready to print out, and, and we get all kinds of information from that. But I, I think the, the thing that I miss the most is just seeing the Japanese getting saved, and that's our, my joy uh, of hearing people getting saved. And, uh, you know, when you're laboring for one soul for many years sometimes, uh, when they get saved, you see that it's a miracle. <laughs> you see the miracle of salvation. And, uh, and, and I miss that. Well, um, from the time that, that I left the mission field um, to come back to Bible college, I miss the people I grew up with. I miss the churches that um, I was able to participate with there as my dad pastored and started churches, uh, the teenagers that, that I grew up with in my youth group and my youth pastor, and I've only gotten to see them a couple times in the last 15 years. Um, then after leaving Hammond and going to Peru, since we've been in Peru, we've come back to the States. Well, I've, this is my third time back. Uh, first time back, we came after we'd been there almost three years. And we came out for three weeks to visit a few churches and family. And my brother, my brothers got to meet our third child that they had never seen before. And then um, 
then last, I think it was 2016 now, um, in the fall, my husband bought me a ticket, and he stayed with our three oldest children all by himself. <laughs> and I got to come they to survived. my... Yes, they survived. <laughs> and he survived. And um, I got to come out <laughs> for my younger brother's wedding, and that was a blessing, and spend a couple of days with my parents. And then this is our third time out, so... Um, I would say this time around, what I miss most um, about our home in the mission field are my children that I left behind. Um, but also, I would say if I were in the States long term, I would miss, besides the people, which obviously would be the, the primary reason why we're there, uh, the souls of men, the people that we get to influence. But aside from that, I would really miss uh, from Peru all the fresh fruits and vegetables that we get to enjoy. Yeah, uh, living in a city... A lot of times the busyness of life can distract us from what we really have. We're on the way up here from the airport. We're headed to the airport along the Costa Verde, the green coast, along Lima. And we're watching a magnificent sunset on the Pacific Ocean. And the sun resting in between the islands. And just the mo- Lima has some of the most gorgeous sunsets. And, uh, but it's definitely the people. They're the ones worth missing. Uh, you can see a gorgeous sunset a lot of places in the world, except for Chicago. And uh, but uh, the we uh, the the people definitely. I miss the camaraderie with our men, and I have to confess that uh, coming up here, this is our missions trip. Uh, Peru is home to us now. It's our home. That's where we feel at home now. Um, it's uh, it's it's been. Uh, I don't know how else to sell it, say it, um, the, uh, but it's great, too. The people are hungry for truth, not just for a religious experience, just for truth. Our church is becoming known uh, as uh, if this Baptist pastor over here, he can, he can teach you. This church, you're going to learn the Bible. They're friendly, uh, and uh, just it's, it's been great. We've had folks come up to us and just, hey, we need to study with you. What, about what the Bible says about this. And uh, we love it. Yeah. Amen. All right, this next question I'm going to ask, have just the men answer. And we're going to do two, maybe three more questions, depending on time here. I'm trying to be conscious of the time. So uh, I'll tell you what, I'll allow one of the two of you to answer, one of the two of you to answer. You all can decide here. Share with us a funny story about something that has happened to you on the mission field. I told him what I was going to share with you. We were in Togo, West Africa, and the missionaries had taken us to a, a market. And there was a vendor selling shoes, and they were pretty little leathers, you know, like flip-flops. And so I, I looked at them a bit, and, and I thought, no, I, I don't need another pair of shoes. So I, I walked on. Well, this man was a very aggressive seller. And it, Madam, madam, come back, come back, you must buy. I said, no, 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 I don't, I don't need shoes. You know, madam, madam. And he started following me. And I recognized because of how he was dressed that he was Muslim. And over there, I could not look him in the eye. Well, really, no woman should have looked him in the eye because that, they take that as meaning something else. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm looking down, I'm looking all around. No, sir, no, sir. <laughs> he kept following me. 
And I'm, once again, panicking, looking for my husband. Where are you? (laughs) Still couldn't find my husband. I said, sir, I have no money. Ah, you're rich American. You have money. And to be honest, I did not. I'd given it all to him just for that reason, because then I knew I couldn't spend anything. But he kept following and kept, kept after me. And finally, I turned around and still looking down, I said, sir, I am a Baptist missionary. I have no money. He looked at me, and this look of you know, knowledge passed over his face. It was so funny, because I could see that peripheral vision. And it was like, oh, she's a Baptist missionary. He went, yeah. He knew I didn't have any money. <laughs> so he left me alone. <laughs> A lot of uh, the funny things that happened to us is with the language. Well, I um, I had a missionary that came and worked with us to the field. And, of course, I have all the missionaries that come to the field go through initiation of one kind or another. <laughs> I won't tell you about the initiation I put the one missionary through. But, uh, or maybe I should. <laughs> anyway, um, we were visiting a, an apartment building. And uh, I, I was doing all the door knocking from the first floor to the seventh floor. We got to the eighth floor, and I said, all right. I said, Brother Paul, I said, you got to do this, this door. I said, push that red button. And, uh, and I was going to stop him, but I g- didn't get to him in time. He's a military man. You tell a military man to do something, he's going to do it, and he's going to do it right now. He pushed the button, and it was an alarm that sets off the entire building. And, uh, and so the whole building starts ringing, and the guy comes out, and he says, who pushed that? And I pointed to <laughs> Threw it under the bus. The funny thing about it is, all the way there, he was saying, how do you say politely, I'm sorry? And I said, well, it's, Moshiwahe gozaimasen. And uh, he just couldn't get that. all of that for, I'm sorry? And I said, yeah, that's all, Moshiwake gozaimasen. He practiced that all the way. So when that man stepped out the door and asked who pushed that, I said, this is the time to practice your Moshiwaki. <laughs> Which actually means there's absolutely no excuse for what I just did. <laughs> but um, Paul, um, uh, Paul Fisher was his name, but Paul was about ready to, Paul was about ready to, um, uh, you know, he's a military man, right? <laughs> anyway, I was leaving that church and going to start another church. Paul was staying back there. And we were having a going away for me. And Paul wanted to get up and, and express his, I think it was thankfulness to me. And he wanted to say that, uh, I'm sure he wanted to say that I was an encouragement to him, which is, but instead of saying, he forgot the me, which means because of me, he became bald. Hagenini <laughs> It might be a half-truth there. <laughs> I was, uh, I, I won a girl to Christ, and I'm spending, um, she was an adult lady, and uh, she she had an aquaphobia, a fear of water, and she just had a bad experience one time, and I'm spending a month trying to reassure her uh, that, uh, that listen, this is now, this is before I was pastor, I was working with our, our main church, and, and uh, first church, and and I said, please, please, please. This pastor's baptized so many people. And she says, I'll get baptized if you'll baptize me. And so I talked to the pastor. He said, I got no problem with that. And so finally, after a month of convincing her, I'm baptizing her. And this is one of my first baptisms. So 
I, I'm in, in Spanish. So in Spanish, I'm, I'm saying buried in the likeness of his death. And I forget the resurrection part. Meanwhile, I'm holding her underwater. <laughs> I just stopped because I'm, I'm moving with my speech. And I'm buried in the likeness of his death. And I just brought her up without finishing it. <laughs> she, gets, she wipes her face off and looks at me like this. I'm like, and she knows I love the joke around. She's just, was, she asked me, was that on purpose? I said, no, that was not on purpose, I promise you. I, sure, one quick one. What about Savannah? Really quick. So, yes, sir. The uh, Savannah is, uh, we're on a bus. We just ate lunch. And now this is before I was preaching on the buses. I, I didn't know the Spanish that well yet. And... Uh, and, you know, you just eat lunch so your energy's low when you've got this long bus ride. And there's people getting on the bus, uh, giving their presentations, asking for money and things like that. And a couple of the teenage boys will get up, and they'll have their little boom box, and they'll do their rap. They'll rap for some, for some change. And uh, they get up there, and, they're and they get started. And Savannah's about eight years old, and I, I just want to take a nap, and I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm antisocial at the moment. And Savannah hears them playing the bad music, and she just blurts out as loud as she can in Spanish, Jesus loves me, this I know. And she looks right at me as to say, you're going to join me, right? <laughs> Quench not the spirit. I can't discourage her. So, she, we're, we're, you know, she's, she's giving me that look like, you know. And so about the time she gets to know, I'm, I'm with her, all right? For the Bible tells me so. And it's in Spanish, of course. And, and we sing it both at the top of our lungs. And uh, I never forgot that afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, after that, this question is just for these guys. <laughs> No, um, no. The, the question is just for you guys because of the amount of time you all have spent in the ministry. This isn't, isn't on the questionnaire, but uh, I don't think you, any of you will have a problem answering it. Um, in all the years that you all have been serving the Lord, there have no doubt been times of discouragement where you have maybe considered throwing in the towel and quitting. What has it been that's kept you going during times like that? Because one thing's for sure, every Christian faces that whether they're a missionary or they're just attending church, what advice would you give about how to get past those times, Dr. Cox? Um, first of all, let me say that I, I have never felt like quitting. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not a put-down, and I know a lot of people do. I, I've heard pastors say every Monday morning I get up and resign, write out my resignation, then I throw it away Tuesday morning and go back to work. Um, for whatever reason, I have, I have never... Uh, felt like resigning. I felt like killing a few deacons, strangling a few church members, but never, never quitting. Uh, discouragement, yes. There's all kinds of discouragements in life. Um, one of the biggest challenges to, to our faith was when my wife was diagnosed with stage 3C colon cancer, a, a tumor size of my fist uh, in, her, in her left side. And uh, that was a, a challenge uh, we had challenged the first, the second year I was pastoring. Um, remember, I, I never, never went to Bible college, never graduated from Bible college, never was taught how to preach. You don't know how to preach. And um, uh, so as, I, as a young neophyte, even though I had much other experience of different sorts, and I was in hospital administration, I, I was in uh, as an associate pastor, I never pastored. And so as I began to have rumblings within my church, it, it began to really discourage me. 
and uh, we ended up losing 100 people. Now, I found out as time went on that the reason was they weren't Baptists, and I was Baptist. I was trying to build a Baptist church. They weren't comfortable there, and that, that, that helped me. But uh, I've had a number of times, everybody goes through those times when you're discouraged, uh, whether it's health or whether it's uh, circumstances or whatever. What have, I, what have I done? What's kept me going? Um, I guess very simply this. I had, a, I had a missionary ask me that question one time. He asked me, have you ever felt like quitting? And I thought, no, I haven't. And then he asked me why. And I thought, ooh, I don't know. And so I thought, and I answered him because I figured it out. I said, I'll tell you why I haven't. It's cost me too much to get to where I am. Amen. Um, you know, with the mission board, there's, there's been discouragements. There's been other things. And, and uh, uh, would I ever turn back? No. Uh, why? Because it's cost me a church. It's cost me friends. It's cost me. It's cost me a lot in order to get to where I am in serving God. I'm not going to turn back. Not now. Um, and one, one piece of advice. It's a piece of advice that I, 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 the statement that I made when people asked me, how in the world did you drive for eight years? On Monday morning to Hiles Anderson College, teach all day Monday, all night to Monday night in in in, uh, in evening college, all day Tuesday, get in your car and drive it back home 200 miles. How did you do that for eight years and pastor a church? My answer is real simple. I never thought about it. And that's the thing with 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 Christian life. When you know you're where God wants you, doing what God wants you to do, no matter how discouraged you get or whatever happens, just don't think about quitting. Refuse to think about that. Amen. Then deal with your problems. There's all kinds of ways to deal with depression and, and discouragement and other things, and I don't have time for that. But uh, in, in my life, uh, that's that's what what we have done. Do you want? To? As uh, you know, my life has been church planting, and Japan is not an easy place to plant churches, and so. Uh, the beginning, getting the church started, a lot of times takes a lot of effort, and you, and it's slow going, uh, really slow going, and and then you lead lead people to Christ, and then you get your church starts to build up, and and then you lose people, uh, people that you've worked hard to get into the church, and then you lose them, and you know it, it's uh, one step forward and two steps back, <laughs> but uh, but. Uh, there's those kind of times when it's like, uh, why am I still here? What am I doing here? Uh, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, I've had those thoughts over and over again. And I shared that with you on Sunday, so I don't need to repeat it. And uh, those are the times when, it, when Satan tempts me and says, you know, uh, it's, it, uh, you don't need to be here. <laughs> and, uh, and that's when I know... That the devil's real. Right. When he speaks to me like that, it's right. it's a, a definite uh, voice of Satan, and uh, that's when I I tell him, uh, get thee behind me, uh, Satan, because I know I'm doing God's will, even though the road is rough. Uh, it's uh, uh, you know we weren't promised uh, that it would be easy, and I never expected it to be easy, but a lot of times in our ministry. It has been very rough going, and and all, uh, as long as I have stayed faithful to God, uh, I've seen God take 
something that looks <laughs> uh, hopeless and turn around to make it right. something wonderful. So yeah. All right, I'd like everybody that can to get out a piece of paper and a pen. The next question I'm going to ask the missionaries uh, is something that I would like you to write down. I'm going to ask them uh, what we can, as a church can pray for in regards to them. And so each missionary will answer uh, individually. And so if you could, uh, write these down, and then let's pray for our missionaries. This will be the last question we ask. I ask the missionaries to try to be concise with your language. Keep it to a couple of sentences. I'll give you a moment to collect what it is that you want to say. And ladies, uh, give our ladies something to pray about specifically for you, and then uh, men as well. Uh, Brother Mark, we'll start with you. Uh, pray that we walk in the Spirit, uh, the temptations morally are much greater on the field than, than they are here. Uh, their, their breakdown of morality, it's, it's, like, uh, it's, it's like what Brother Cox was talking about. They, they, they just say, oh, you don't need this, I'll take it. They, they don't have a good foundation of morality like we have. And when I talk about uh, pray for our morality, yes, I'm, all, I'm talking about fornications. I'm also talking about theft, lying, all these things. It's just so prevalent, so acceptable. And uh, pray that we don't become like those around us, but that we stand firm in our faith and, and we show forth a good moral discipline in everything. Pray for wisdom for us. We need wisdom. Um, every day I'm short of wisdom. And we pray every day for wisdom. Please join us. Pray that we love uh, you're out there, and you're in a much colder area uh, spiritually. And if we're not careful, our love will wax cold, as the Bible teaches that it will happen one day. And uh, please pray that we'll continue to love people and that we won't grow callous. Uh, you, you're around uh, my, my sister's a nurse, my mother's a nurse. My mom will tell you, from being a nurse, sometimes you can become very... You can lose your sympathy for the patients because you see it so often. And, and, and that's us. We're with the patients. And sometimes you lose patience for the patients. And uh, please pray that we'll continue to love. Thank you. I'd like to ask you to pray for God to always keep the fire of soul winning alive in my heart. Um, As a mom of small children, sometimes I'm not able to go out like I want. And pray that God would send us helpers, um, team players in our church, to serve together with us. And also, if you would pray that God would give us, me personally, wisdom and understanding in how to teach our children, to homeschool them, and to... Always be real for them. That my life on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday would be the same as in church on Sunday. My children would grow up seeing that God is real. Because he is. Um, spiritual strength as we deal with people just like they deal with, even though we're in a different country. Um, Satan is always there fighting. Um, pray for continued good health. We both have good health now. 
uh, the doctor just kicked me out of his practice, the oncologist. He said, bye-bye, I don't want to see you anymore. And so I'm so thankful for that. Uh, but pray that God will give me continued good health. And because we are the grandma and grandpa up here. Um, well, you're a grandpa too, but we're still older than he is. Uh, <laughs> um, pray for strength for us to keep going. Uh, pray for safety on the roads and in the air. Um, we put at least 40,000 miles a year on our car. Um, so we, we put a lot of road miles on. And, you know, statistics show that we have a greater chance of being injured or killed on the roadway than we do in the air. So just pray for safety for us. Basically what my wife has asked for is what we'd asked for. It's, it's what we need. Spiritual insight, wisdom, discernment. I spend a lot of time counseling missionaries. I spent a, uh, all half an hour this morning on the phone with one of our missionaries and, and giving him answers, trying to help guide and direct him. And uh, another one that I'm getting meetings for and just different things. So pray that we'll have wisdom. Pray that we'll have our health and safety. And then the, the, the um, things that I mentioned earlier, uh, pray that God will supply the finances that we need. Uh, to, to finish the city of refuge. We need to get that done. It's important. We need about $20,000 to finish the first stage. And so pray that God will send that in. Pray that God will send in. We need about $40,000 to, uh, to get 60 more families involved in the, in the um, uh, home uh, business thing in Haiti. And uh, if we can do that, we'll, we'll have the first uh, self-supporting, independent, autonomous Baptist church ever planted in, this, in the country of Haiti. And uh, it'll change. We're trying to change nations. We're not just trying to win some people. Right. And so it's working, but, but we, we need it. It seems kind of just to say we need the finances, but, but that's, that's where we are. We need that. We need workers. And pray specifically, lastly, for uh, the conferences coming up the end of April, the last two weeks in April. Uh, pray that God will open the hearts of the preachers. They'll get excited when they hear the reports of, of Muslims being won to Christ and that this great uh, movement will turn into a great wave of, of people getting saved and we can actually see a nation turned around for the Lord. Amen. I would like to ask six things. Number one, pray for the fire of God upon me uh, as I preach uh, from week to week. Uh, and number two, I would ask that you'd pray for my family, uh, for personal victory in our lives. Uh, pray for my son and daughter-in-law, Steve and Bethany. Uh, they're a very uh, important part of my ministry. And then I'd like for you to pray for uh, focus, uh, that we could keep uh, my priorities right in uh, doing what uh, I should be doing in my life. And then I ask for finances that God would provide for us as we travel. And then I'd ask for you to pray uh, that God would give us offensive protection yes. as we drive. And then finally pray for our future that we will have peace in doing what God would have us to do. In 2018, we have the Tokyo Olympics. Uh, we'd like to be able to uh, know what to do during that time. And so pray for our future work there uh, in Japan. Very good, very good. All right, thank you all of you. You can have a seat. Let's give our missionaries a round of applause. Let's all stand to our feet. Ushers, if you can make your way forward. Miss Rachel, if you could make your way to the piano.
We're going to collect a, uh, a love offering here to help cover the cost of the conference as well as those faith promise cards. If you have filled that out and you're ready to turn that in, we'll collect those at this time. We'll also collect those tomorrow night and then on Sunday. So if you're not quite ready to put that in yet, that's okay. And so let's have a word of prayer and then for the offering and then uh, we'll have you be seated after the prayer and then after that we'll stand and be dismissed. Brother Harvey, if you would lead us in prayer. Lord God, thank you. be seated. Let's stand to our feet. Wasn't that enjoyable tonight? I'm so thankful for our missionaries both here and abroad. 
and a chance to get to know them a little bit better. Missionaries, we'll have you go ahead and slip back to your tables uh, with your families. And if you haven't had a chance to, get by and shake their hand. If you're uh, a youngster here, or even if you're not a youngster, you got a Bible, listen, uh, we, uh, we run to baseball games and get baseball players to sign our baseballs, and, and we collect autographs all the time. These are the real heroes right here. They're, uh, they're in the trenches. They're doing the work of the Lord. So go get them to sign your Bibles, and uh, that'd be a great uh, thing to hold on to. Amen. All right, let's have a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed this evening. Brother Owens, if you would, close us in prayer.